0: This is She Sparks Tech, a podcast about women who take technology to heart in their careers. We will explore stories about women who think creatively, find new directions, solve problems, and chase passions, all through technology. I'm your host, Casey Bertelsman, and I am excited about showcasing amazing women and their careers. Covering both expected and unexpected directions to expand our idea of tech careers and in hopes of inspiring each of us to think a little bit bigger. Suganda, it is so great to have you here with me today on the She Sparks Tech Podcast. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself for me? Hi, Casey. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I guess I want to
1: start with saying that I'm Suganda. I read, I write and that sort of like defines who I am a lot. I'm in love with books. And right now I'm fully committed to being mindful in my life and I'm practicing the art of being here in the now. And additionally, I am an electrical engineer. I work in the space of uh, clean energy and climate tech. And I feel like it is my purpose in life to live a sustainable living and create like a planet that is equitable and sustainable for everyone.
0: I love that. And I, I know, I think it's so important to see the different levels of what that means to different people, because sustainable can be such a buzzword, but it can also be something that is led with such intention based on what you do. And I mean, even your career is focusing on that, that direction and that mission. Absolutely. I
1: completely agree. So When I think of sustainability, I think the first thing that attracted to me, it was, you know, when I was in high school in India, and it was, it was just plainly saving water or saving electricity at home, because those were like the challenges that, you know, we were facing in our town back then. And that was sustainability. And when I moved to United States, sustainability took like a whole different meaning, because it was corporate sustainability, it's individual sustainability, there's, it's actually like a pretty loaded term. And that's so much to do and, yeah, so many layers to it. I just love, like, you know, what it can bring to our lives on a day-to-day basis.
0: And so, I guess, did your interest in sustainability or how it applied to you in high school and in India, did that impact you into pursuing a career in, I guess, climate tech in that sector?
1: I actually really had an interesting journey that led me to climate tech. And I feel like I was always meant to find it. I think like climate tech or working for our our planet is something that I'm meant to do. And I, if I essentially, you know, wanted to be an Air Force pilot and I wanted to serve in the Indian Air Force. But I really enjoyed reading. And, you know, like physics was something I was really interested in. And it sort of like took me to electrical engineering And I I thought I'm going to be in the space of energy. And when I was in India, the grid and the power system and everything was vastly different. But then I stumbled upon New York City. I started reading about New York through novels. And I found out about New York in all the sitcoms that I was watching. And I fell in love. And I think Mm -hmm. that love brought me to United States. And that is where I actually really understood. I remember the first thing I had read about something close to sustainability or zero waste living. There was this amazing influencer, Catherine Kellogg. She was the person who was single-handedly responsible for me trying to lead a more sustainable life because I saw that cover art that I think National Geographic had that cover art that she had her entire year worth of trash in a jar. And that jar was not even full. And I got super curious and I started digging into sustainability. And that sort of like pushed me to sort of understand what are the different verticals of sustainability and how can I relate this to the study that I've already done, which brought me to sort of like clean energy and then climate. So it's been a journey, honestly. It was never like correlated, but I've always deeply cared about the planet. So sort of feels like
0: it's a full circle for me. I mean, those are the stories that it shows someone's passion because you have, you know, these interests and you start to see how they align and the way industries and career roles develop don't line up with what you were exposed to in high school. And so you happen to eventually find something and you're like, this is it. This is the niche that I was made for, like whatever journey I took was meant for this. I could not have aligned that journey better if 10 years ago I knew I was working toward this intentionally. It just, it feels so magical that way to be able to like place yourself there and be like, check, I'm happy. Majority of the time, there's always bad moments, right? But it's, you know, it fits with your values and what you love,
1: Absolutely. And the journey that you're talking about, I feel like uh, Steve Jobs has famously said, you know, that you can never connect the dots looking forward, you always have, you can only do that retrospectively, you have to look back to connect the dots, actually. And that is so true in my case, because, you know, I feel like it was such a progression, that in that moment, at any given time, I didn't know where it's actually leading. And I remember being like, supremely uncomfortable in those moments. Uh, because you know like I think we all believe uh, in this idea or we are made to believe in this idea that we need to have everything figured out Uh, but I think I I figured stuff out slowly over the period of time so I'm really happy about that fact that uh, I got the opportunity or I was at the right place at the right time to have like the right kind of startups and then I was reading the right stuff I was talking about the you know like the stuff that was important to me so I feel like if, if if I was ever asked to like give one advice, I would I would just like, you know, tell people, and I, I do this with my uh, cousins who are still in school, and I tell them that just be unafraid and just ask like a million questions and try out like as many things as you can. Because I think we have been, I especially, I will not speak for anyone else, but I remember growing up with this fear or like just, I don't know, maybe I was made to feel that you can't try too many things or you cannot fail multiple times. I mean, Abe Lincoln was a famous example that we all heard about. But, you know, one, he was a man. And second, it was just like, Abe Lincoln can do it because he ultimately became, you know, like the president of the United States. And he did fantastic things. But yeah, somehow on the ground level, when people around you, you don't see people doing that. It's really challenging because you don't have anybody to look up to. So I I feel like that is the one thing I have adopted now after so many years that I'm not afraid to you know like make a fool of myself if if I want to call it like I don't ask intentionally stupid questions but I ask questions. I don't I I I make it a point to like understand what am I feeling whether that's professionally or personally. I I write it down because you know I've, I I agree with the fact that when you write something down your problem is half solved because you see the gaps in your thinking you understand what are the areas that are like complete black holes you don't understand them because you can't even like structure a sentence about them and I feel like all of that really has helped me so far and that and all I learned all of this from the journey I had so you know like as you mentioned like yeah a better journey or like a better route I guess was just not possible I think I I learned everything from the way yeah,
0: my journey shaped up. And, you know, it's really powerful saying, you know, finding the resources to like explore more, you know, you don't have to go out and have a job in 10 different industries. But like I had someone tell me not that long ago, they're like, you can go on YouTube. And there are people in just about any job that just like tell you what they do all day. Like you want a job in tech? You can find like someone who does any job in tech and this is what they do all day. And they'll they make YouTube videos about it. So you, you can learn and explore all of that with so many free resources that like if you're at the point where like, I don't even know like how to ask questions or what should I be asking or what should I be looking at? You, you can start there. And I but I also see no problem in saying like, I don't even know what I should be asking. Like, what don't I know that I need to be asking about? There doesn't have to be shame in not knowing, even though people make it seem that way. But everyone starts out knowing nothing. There's just different expectations for when and how you learn it, especially based on how you look. You know, if I want to learn how to use a drill, but I'm, you know, a 10-year-old boy, my dad's going to teach me, but as a 30-year-old woman, it, people are like, oh, she doesn't know how to do that. If I didn't learn how to do it, I'm just learning now. There should be no shame. I want to learn how to do it. I'm gonna try it. And take away the stigma. Start with yourself. Exactly. I, I I love that. Absolutely. I I feel like especially
1: when I'm in a situation where somebody is trying to ask a question, I I have trained my mind to be extra patient and, you know, be tolerant of that. Because sometimes like it's we are humans. It's very natural to sort of like, you know, have like a very quick impulsive input about whatever they have. You know, like we have like a quick word that we want to say, but I have trained myself to do that. And that's one of the other things I'll I'll say. I was not good at asking questions. Like five years back, I didn't know. I would I would realize that I don't understand something, but I had so much reservation around it. I met somebody and I saw that they asked really good questions. And that's one of the first things I remember asking them that I think you ask great questions. And uh, I feel like I don't articulate well enough, although like I love writing. I've been writing for such a long time. In speaking, articulation is completely different. Saying that, hey, when you look at a view and you say, this is awesome. And you know, like that person prompted me to be like, no, don't tell me this is awesome. Tell me what you actually see and what you actually feel when you look at that sunset. And that exercise sort of like, you know, really prompted me to be better in articulation and I feel like that's a skill I picked up and that made me better and even questions like when I saw this person like asking good questions I I, I was like okay I don't know how to ask good questions and I want to learn how to do that and I started asking questions at first it was like too many questions and a lot of them were redundant and you know but I became better so I think the moral I took out of that is everything in life is a skill and you can learn it whenever you want to. You just have to be intentional about it. And I I think at this point in my life, I look at everything that way because, you know, like six months back, I was going through like a major crisis and I could not figure heads from tails and I was like in a really bad spot. And so I decided to take a break from my work and from my life and during that break, when I, was being super intentional about just being in the present moment is when i realized like so uh, uh, like so many little things that i've learned in the last couple of years or throughout like pandemic how i held myself when i was so far away from my family completely unaware of their situation and unable to sort of like help them in real time and i feel like we We as a society, or I don't know if that's like specific to any country or culture, I'm not sure, but I feel like we place so much emphasis on those external quantifiable success metrics uh, that we really forget to account for personal progress that we have made. And I decided that this is the time I'm going to start celebrating all of my personal successes and progress. And I feel like that is
0: one of them. I learned to ask good
1: questions and I feel like I'm happy about that.
0: And, I mean, asking questions is something that a lot of people have fear and anxiety around. If it's one of those things where you don't want to ask in a room full of people, jot them down and follow up with someone afterwards. You know, there are ways to go about doing it to start learning, to gain confidence, and then speak up more. So maybe you have some questions you're like, okay... I do not want to ask in this room full of 20 people where everyone else potentially knows more than I do, or maybe I'm just not in the loop, whatever it is, take those back to someone else on your team afterwards. You know, I want to, like, that was a really great meeting. I learned a lot. I have a couple of questions that I'd like to ask you just to make sure that I'm where I need to be. And then you start learning how to phrase those questions, how to, especially if you write them down ahead of time, because you're like, I have a list. You take it. You can read off the list. Write your answer on the list. And then you start learning, okay, this is what works. These are the kinds of questions I ask. These are the kind of answers I need to understand, you know, do you need it written in email? Do you need someone to sit down with you and draw it? What does it look like? And how are you going to learn from it? Absolutely. Just pausing and taking a step back. I feel like all of this
1: is possible, especially, you know, when, uh, as you mentioned, like having a process of how you want to ask the question, I feel like all of this is possible only if you really self-reflect and you're you're self-aware. So I feel like largely reflection or self-awareness is such an important part of like our growth journeys. And I feel like that's again, one more thing that not a lot of people understand or really have a pulse on like how important self-reflection is. And it's so easy to have self-reflection, like from, you know, like a reference point of view that, hey, I'm going to reflect, but I'm going to keep like certain people as my reference points. And I'm going to reflect on things with respect to them or like, you know, I'm going to reflect on things that they feel are important for me. But I feel like having that quiet time to just sort of really understand who you are and understanding your goals and where you want to be in life is such an essential part of like the growth journey. So yeah, I feel like that is one of the things I feel everybody should focus on, or at least I want to continue to focus on.
0: Yeah, it's it's very important in how you show up and then can support others in your growth in positions. You know, if you're really self-aware and you know what you've struggled with, then you're able to start identifying like, characteristics of people on your team, whether you're in charge of them or not, but this person does really well in this scenario, this person doesn't, they do well in this. And that self awareness is then projected into how you can assist other people do their best work also. Absolutely. And I felt like I felt like because of the kind of
1: person I am and the kind of work I was putting into making myself better, in my previous company, I felt like I wanted to be that person. I wanted to gi- join the diversity and equity team because I really wanted my organization to understand how I feel as a part of the team and how, how I want to interact with my team members and how the, wh- what kind of support do I want from them or from the company. And I felt like those all were reasonable questions and like reasonable asks because I am contributing to the company. I I felt like I was really committed as a person. Like if I join an organization, I feel like one of the things that really keeps me invested is the people and the cause. And I'm always almost like joining a company with the idea that this is my company. Like I need to absolutely not just work in tech and product, which is like my domain, but also like help people or, you know, like have a say in, can we improve the culture? What can we do for like, you know, team bonding activities? And so one of the things like I realized around that time is that it's, it's so interesting that communication plays such an important role because there were so many interesting like ideas that i had and so many interesting contributions that i wanted to make but even i personally felt like it was so challenging because you might be able to identify characteristics or you might be able to like identify what is the best way to optimize a team but you might not be able to communicate that or you know or the way you communicate might not be received or yeah So I felt like that's also like an interesting, uh, you know, like aspect that I'm exploring right now, trying to figure out like, what's the best way to sort of like communicate, because I would love to sort of help people realize their true potential and also like help them. I mean, not, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, like I can be of help, like I am the best person to do this, definitely not. But there's There's just that humanness that you can add to any organization or a team where you see that on a day to day, you know, like you're meeting your teammate. and it's not just about tech and product and what's happening with the company and the roadmap where you can just like intentionally in a minute be like, I want to support you and what kind of support do you need from me specifically. And that could be anything. And I feel like that would bring so much value to the team and the organization. And I feel like that, i'm I'm exploring that angle more now like i'm trying to explore how that can be scalable or how can that be less intrusive because i'm sure like not everybody wants to be that open and vulnerable at workplace so that that's a space like that's very interesting to me right now
0: i think part of that too is you know no one person is going to be the best at everything but You know, especially if the focus is, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, having someone who is not just a white man offer some of these options, you are a more inclusive face for a lot of people. Not everyone, not everyone will relate to you, but there will be some people that relate to you more than a white man or even a white woman. And so you just see that variety. And so having people step up into these spaces and they're excited about it. You know, and you aren't just like, oh, you're not white, so you should be here. You're choosing to be there. No one is pushing you to be there. And so you're choosing how you can be a representative and what matters to you in those areas. And that's where the impact is. You're not going to be the best at everything, but you shouldn't have to be. You should be the best at what you do and be able to reflect and offer guidance and inspiration, honestly.
1: Absolutely, especially after having been through certain stuff, like one of the causes that I really uh, feel like I want to advocate more about is immigration, because immigration becomes like such a complex thing for like everybody like me. Because as I said before, like I dreamt of living in New York. I am absolutely madly in love with the city and I can't explain it. I've lived there for like the longest time and I, I, I'm i just fascinated. And I don't want to go anywhere. But like having to constantly, you know, be under the pressure that I'm going to have to leave because my visa's not going to go through or my visa when it's being processed, you know, like I have to, I can't go home because there have been times when I haven't been home for like four years or like I've been home twice in like nine years and it has been at four year intervals or three years in doubles. And, and so it's like really challenging because you're away from your family, you're away from the setup that you're drawn in. But you really want to build new roots. And so I feel like immigration was one of the things that I really wanted to sort of talk about, like be a part of that committee. Because what happens is sometimes like a lot of organization, because it's primarily U.S. citizens or residents, so they don't know all the rules and regulations. And because I've gone through this process and I have so many friends who are going through this process, there's so much context that I have. I feel like having me on the team would be an asset. Because, and I'm even open to sort of like doing like a one-on-one thing with uh, the candidates who are immigrants who are are going through that process. Because I feel like when I was going through it, and I remember like back in 2019, I was on my last round for my H-1B lottery. And it's a lottery system. So it's like really luck based. And I was, and it was like the last month, May is when you hear about if you've been selected or not. And I did not hear anything. And I was just like, oh, my God, I cannot believe that my dream is ending like this. And it was like a really, really, really anxiety ridden time. But I literally heard about it on the last day. Like it was unexpected. And my, I remember like my office, like the human resource manager, she cheered for me. She was so happy. She called me. And like my manager at that time called me because they all knew how much I really wanted to be there. I wanted to work for the company. I wanted to be in the U.S. That's where I see myself. And uh, so it was, it was, I feel like having been through that process, I feel I can really be an asset when it comes to immigration, about talking to the people, helping them understand, helping the organization understand. But in my previous company, when I suggested this, it was very well received. But you know, the head of the committee were two white women. And even though one of them, you know, like was having to go through the H-1B visa process, but they were from a country that which the visa for them is like super easy, even though if it's an H-1B. And I felt like I would really like to contribute and make a difference because I feel like I can. And even though we don't hire too many H-1B visa candidates, but still like having that kind of support would be amazing. And I feel like, yeah, things and opportunities like that also really help. At least like they really make me feel like I belong here or like belong in this company and I'm able to make a difference. And yeah, so um, not being able to do that was like really hard. And I felt like, as you mentioned, like the impact. So the impact, I feel like it not just comes from the face or uh, even if I choose to be in a committee, which is like about diversity and inclusion. I think because I've been through some of those things, um, having me on the committee would definitely create an impact because I'm here and I want to make sure that nobody else has to face that challenge or nobody else has to feel like they're not supported. Like they can just come up to me and they can talk about what they're really going through. And then there's like a sense of community. And I feel like, wouldn't that add to like uh, employee retention? Wouldn't that make anybody feel like they're seen and acknowledged and that really would make a difference and yeah so i'm sorry i'm just gonna pause that i feel like i I was (laughs) long-winded
0: no i mean it's it's really good information because there are so many people you know going through that process you know you're looking for a job especially if you're trying to change jobs and trying to navigate ike is that even an option? Am I finding a best fit? And they're like, "We don't like, you know, we can't sponsor visas," and then it's like, "Well, back to the drawing board," because you do go through, you know, descriptions on LinkedIn, and I feel like more than anything, that's one of the things I see on there is, you know, we do we do not sponsor visas, whether it's they cannot or they choose not to. I'm sure there's several reasons, but that's a really important piece for anyone who is trying to maintain their status in the United States, it's a lot, It's it can be very difficult. And there's a lot of stigma around it too, which there shouldn't be because, you know, when you sit at your desk and you do good work, that other bit really shouldn't matter because unless they want to send you back and, you know, you do your good work from there, but it's like, you hired me, it costs a lot of money to bring someone in, train them and get them into the company. You don't want to lose that because of something like a visa situation.
1: Definitely. And what's the hardest part about that is because somebody's sponsoring our visa, it's almost as if it's almost as if it's a perk that we are being exclusively offered and then there's like a guilt factor associated with that because then you are like, "Oh, now I'm obligated to stay with this company for some time because they decided to sponsor my visa." And, you know, it's also sometimes I have felt the pressure to like perform, whereas everybody who gets into a job has, should be given the time to like learn or pick up the ropes and sort of like, you know, take time to understand the product and the tech. And I felt, I've I've definitely felt the pressure that I need to prove myself super fast because, you know, they took a chance on me. And And that especially happened to me in my last startup that I was working for that I ended up, they, 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 they didn't know the process it was complicated and they were trying to figure out an in-between and I had to put my foot down that listen I've been through this I've had like a situation about my H-1B before so I just want to make sure that we are doing a smooth transition so please do the filing and once it's approved I'll join and they reluctantly agreed but they were really nice about it but then when it posed that point came the salary negotiation And I cannot explain how guilty I felt about negotiating for a higher pay. But I was asking for absolutely what I felt I deserved. And I was ready to bring all of that hard work and all of that, you know, energy and intensity into the world because I was actually so looking forward to it. And I wanted to do my absolute best. And I owe it to myself too, because I feel like uh, I'm working because I want to live a certain kind of life. Work is not hundred percent of my life. I have so many different facets to it, and I feel like so it's such a natural thing to want to be what to want to get paid the right amount of money. And it, but you know, like the whole immigration thing combined with like salary and combined with the fact that there are so limited like opportunities because not everybody is ready to sponsor a visa, and apart from that, we don't get the opportunity to you know explore as many options because. If I don't like the kind of work, I I, I feel like we should absolutely have the ability to sort of like experiment and try, even if that means that even I'm not saying that we should keep hopping jobs and I don't want to keep hopping jobs, but I would at least like the flexibility to try. But it's challenging because, you know, when I'm applying for a new visa, I have to prove that my education qualification meets the visa requirement. So, yeah. And while I respect the fact that there's that visa process, it's essential. There's so many people who want to live in America and, you know, they want to work there and live there and build like a better life. So there needs to be a structure. I respect that. And I agree that there needs to be a structure. But the immigration process has become just so complicated that, it uh, that yeah, I, I felt like I would have left to experiment a lot more if I had the opportunity and that opportunity wasn't, you know, present, especially like in my early twenties. So, yeah, I feel like that's one part that I really miss out on. But again, like having somebody to talk to about this would have been great because, you know, now I I can suggest so many ways people can experiment without legally experiment and learn so many things and explore things without, you know, really affecting their visa or without breaking any rules. But yeah, there was nobody to tell me that. And I had to learn through, you know, like after so many years. So yeah, I feel like
0: stuff like that is really essential. One thing I would pull out of that that you did say is I would be curious, you know, in the negotiation process, if you were a man going through immigration, same situation for everything else, would you have felt that same negotiation guilt? And you may not be able to answer that, but I think part of that is you know, the immigrant. And then part of it, I think, is just women tend to feel more guilt about negotiation. So it's almost compounded in your situation that way. Absolutely,
1: yeah. I have seen I have seen so many of my friends. They're just like so confident asking for like a, a you know, like a higher pay. And yeah, it's really interesting. And I've tried to like train that out of me, but I, I still think I've not successfully
0: trained it out I think a lot of it is not, you know, training, it's practice. It, you have to do it so many times and every time it becomes a little less comfortable, but it, the reality is it's confrontation. And most of us don't like confrontation. Like there's nothing you're going to do that's going to make you like it, but you can become slowly more comfortable with it because you know the benefit that it is providing you. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the one thing that I have Taught myself right now, or and I'm trying to practice it is that time is one of our most essential commodities. And if you can actively and you know, like in purposefully negotiate time with your family and friends, I feel like you can bring that negotiation strategy towards money or finances as well. Because a lot of us, I think, especially like in Indian culture, it's so natural to sort of like be pressured to you know, like give time to your family. And I have like a family of 150 first, you know, like first relatives, like these are all like first cousins and like immediate family members, but it's 150 people. How am I expected to sort of like stay in touch with like all of them? But so I feel like once I started like negotiating for my time that, you know, like my energy is mine, my time is mine. And I'm like, I want to invest this in things that really matter to me family does matter to me. But, you know, like communicating with somebody on a day to day basis or keeping in touch via WhatsApp is not my scene. Like it's not something I want to spend my energies with. So I I was like, okay, having like a strong family bond is important. So when I'm with people, I'm just with them. I make it a point to like communicate to everybody else that I'm with family and I'm not going to be accessible. So when I started using, you know, like really intentionally negotiating that with like people around me or like with myself that I want to be here 100%. I felt that when it came time to like negotiate for like money, I was a little better at it. I still had some residual guilt, but I feel like, yeah, it's it's really like a transferable skill. So um, yeah, that was my experience.
0: Yeah, I think I'd like to chat just a little bit about you know the handful of roles that you have had you know in the clean energy sector and just highlight some of those cuz i think a lot of people don't understand what kind of opportunities do exist there so can you talk a little bit about i guess you know how your your career has progressed in some of the roles that you have had absolutely i want to start with like when i was in my uh, undergrad i
1: did my undergrad in india and I was an electrical engineering student. And I think from the very beginning, I had the I had this notion that I don't wanna do something that's usual, I wanna do something that's actually different from the norm, but also has like a really high impact and visibility. So I think in like my sophomore year, where nobody else was like writing papers or doing anything with paper and publications, I started like diving into IEEE papers and publications. That's where I actually came into You know, like I started uh, reading about electric vehicles and this was like back in 2011. So electric vehicles and smart grid and India was like at such an early stage that all of this was like a hypothetical concept or like a theoretical concept, not hypothetical. So it was more theory, but the grid was nowhere near to like having any of this infrastructure. So... I was super curious and that's like one of the reasons why i felt like a master's in united states would be ideal because so many papers were authored in united states which brought me to us and i you know like progressively since then all of my job opportunities have took me you know deeper into that clean energy and that aspect because the first job i had i was working with energy meters and i you know like a lot of these energy meters and i was doing energy management we, the company built their own proprietary energy management solution, which was helping residential and industrial customers. And that was really interesting because I sort of like got a sense of how people on a day-to-day level look at energy. Are people like our consumers like us really concerned about energy at all? Who are the main people who are really interested about this? And so, you know, it was sort of like user research, like a deep dive user research kind of like experience in energy management. So when I moved to my next role, which was with a startup that directly worked with uh, distribution utilities, and that was super interesting because at that point, I knew like what smart meters are like, you know, what what is the importance of that? Do end users even care about like electricity? Why do we need to care about like energy efficiency and stuff like that? So like that was such an important like experience. I feel like I credit like a lot to Utilidata and like the uh, staff and the team members at Utilidata because uh, we we were doing something really important over there. We were trying to create like a really efficient distribution grid, and I'll never forget that. I learned so much about like policymaking, regulatory work, and how to actually communicate with the regulators. And, you know, like that experience really highlighted the robustness or the resilience of the North American grid. And also, uh, obviously, like, you know, with any system or with anything, there's positives and negatives. I I obviously learned about so many bottlenecks that our grid has uh, in America. And what are some of the problems that we face? Or, you know, like most of the distribution utilities, if you look at their five year or 10 year plan for deployment, you'll see that it's it's not aggressive enough. And it's my personal opinion that if we want to tackle climate emergency, we need to have aggressive policies, we need to have aggressive action, and it needs to come from grassroots all the way to the top. And that was like my, you know, like my thinking. And, but, but I've seen that on a day-to-day level, it's so hard to do that because as an investor-owned utility, I care about making profit and I care about my consumers or my customers. My only job is to make sure that I make money. Also, none of my customers should lose electricity. Those are my two responsibilities. And how do I plug in climate into all of this? I want to, and I want to be, you know, like start taking measurable differences to the climate. But so that was sort of like, you know, a reality check for me where I learned that, you know, just like passion or feeling like really strongly about the cause is not enough and how to actually like, you know, do yeah you like you know how to actually do the real work to make a difference exactly yeah and i feel like my next startup voltus was like really instrumental in that because voltus have this no novel idea and they they sort of like flipped the system they decided to focus on demand side management and it was so interesting working at voltus because they took like a really simple concept and they just made like a whole business out of it and it's it's beautifully run organization and i feel like one of the things that i want to highlight is you can do like you know you you can do like the same sort of things but and you can do them differently and i feel like Volus well, was doing that and that's where i actually learned like you know uh, there are so many systems in place you just have to look at it differently to probably get an idea that would benefit you know your cause and it was sort of like i feel like the, the business model of Voltus or the idea that Voltus has is sort of like an ikigai. Uh, you know, like it, it actually, you know, like solves the purpose. It's actually something that has the skills of the people who are involved. And I feel like that's how my career has progressed because at Voltus, I really saw that you can make measurable difference. You just have to really be creative and you have to understand the market. And that's where, you know, like I learned the concept. I mean, I was aware that, you know, when you do deep work, uh, you definitely get tons of benefit. But that's where I really understood what that meant, that you need to do so much of deep work within any specific field to really understand like a really complicated market or a system. And that's when you would be able to come up with like an innovative solution, or you would be able to creatively, you know, like build a solution that works, solves the problem while you're making profit. So I feel like that's sort of like my what my journey has been. and. The kind of roles I chose, they have always been, one, closely grounded to the fact that I wanted to make a difference in the climate space. And second, I felt like at every stage, I felt like I want to gain some skills because I see myself as a version of this person who I want to be. And I'm trying to be her and all the skills that I need to get. I felt like those were the kind of roles I was choosing because I, I was an electrical engineer, I was working as an engineer. And then I realized that I think I want to build products. And I think I want to build those products because I I had experience building like product and being on the product team and working closely with them. So, but I was an engineer and I felt like I want to be on the other side. Now I want to start building the products because I have very specific opinions now about what we should do and how should we execute and implement them. And then I realized that, okay, it's, so I feel like, that really drove the kind of roles I chose, but the industry overall always for me was clean energy. And one thing that I would definitely emphasize is that clean energy has so many different roles and verticals and it needs a lot of people to work. Like, you know, like it needs a commitment or it just needs a lot of workforce at this point because climate emergency is one of the biggest problems we are tackling. And it's, it's, It's real, it's super serious, and it's it's at our doorstep right now. So I feel like if anybody is looking for a job or an opportunity, I feel like it should be somewhere in this climate space and no contribution made in this space is small. Like you could just be, you know, like you could be a spokesperson for a climate organization and that would make such a big difference. Like you won't even realize how big of a difference that would make or you could be like a data scientist with them and work on the back end. So I feel like that is one thing that I uh, have lately started like talking or having conversations about, like if somebody's looking for a job, I try to ask them like, have you explored like any of the climate tech startups? Or because it's very uncommon, people don't gravitate towards them. They're not as, you know, like alluring as any of the MANG startups. So yeah. So that is, I feel like should one thing that, you know, I've started having active conversations about. And
0: I mean, there's so much opportunity because it's it's so widespread. You know, the the roles in clean energy tech in Iceland versus here, you get a different range of what you're touching what you're exposed to how people are supporting it and so you can find a wide variety especially if you are not wanting to be location specific and you know texas versus new york versus california they all have different climate needs so you can still experience so many different things you can advocate for different things you can find new useful applications Um, there's no small contribution in any of these like you said
1: absolutely plus within america every state has such different like mindsets that it the policy that drives that change would be unique the kind of conversation that you need to have in each state would be unique so honestly it it would involve like any role would be dynamic it won't be a static role where you're like you're going in and you're doing like a b and c and your job is done it would involve having conversation understanding the landscape and the drivers And then sort of like building uh, a product or building any solution that targets the need of that specific geography. So I feel like, and that's just for North America. Globally, every country at this point is so unique and has its own fascinating level of, you know, challenges or, you know, like navigational layers that you have to uh, go through. Yeah. So I feel like that this is like a really exciting and unique time to be working in the climate space because tons of opportunity, idea of roles, and you, you get an opportunity to make a difference. So why not?
0: Yes. And I guess for anyone who, you know, is listening, they heard you speak about it. They're like, that sounds like something I would be interested in. How do do you go about finding opportunities in clean energy tech or climate tech?
1: So right now, clean energy and climate tech has seen like a lot of investment, venture capital investment, and there's a ton of visibility as well. Uh, A lot of people have come up with their own climate boards or like climate tech job boards or just like websites. So I'll name a couple of them, which I feel are really uh, helpful. Work on Climate is a group that's, actively working on climate and they have verticals. It's not specific to energy. It has a, everything based on agriculture, you know, like land pollution, water, soil. There's so many different verticals. So work on climate is like a really good uh, place to start with. Climate Tech we see is another space where you can learn more from the financial side, but there's also like a lot of uh, job openings that are listed. On Deck has a really active climate tech uh, scene. I know that they stopped their cohort uh, cohorts but they are still like really active with everything they're doing in the climate space climate wines is another which is like which was founded by one of the directors uh, ex directors of uh, on deck climate tech cohort so I feel like these are some of the sources they are great starting points and if anybody wants to you know like reach out to me
0: and ask me I would be more than happy to help them one on one as well awesome so if anyone is interested in reaching out to you, what's the best place to do that? LinkedIn,
1: definitely. Okay,
0: perfect. I'll make sure that your information for LinkedIn ends up in the show notes. And Zaganda, is there anything that you'd like to say to wrap this up? There's so much one can
1: say, and I feel like, yeah. I think uh, I just wanna say that show up as yourself in the best possible way, because I think that's the only thing that we can control. except the fact that none of us know everything and that we are all here to learn and to give our best and our best will look different every single day. So I would just say that, you know, like, um, yeah, just, um, just go with the idea that our life is not defined by the work that we do, but it's defined by how we do our work. So, that that that's just it i felt like it was too philosophical but it's it's something that i genuinely believe in
0: yeah it's it can feel you know a little overheard but when you really break it down it it can be really powerful still no matter how many times you've heard it but thank you so much for chatting with me i mean i think we had a really amazing conversation it has so much information for everyone who listened i think it's one that people will probably revisit and it has so many great you know just career aspect but then also you know life balance and bettering yourself pieces so thank you no problem
1: thank you so much casey and i really hope that yeah this is helpful to people i mean that that was the whole goal of making sure that we had a conversation yeah so thank you for giving me that opportunity i appreciate it
0: thank you for joining segunda and i talking all about Clean Energy Tech, it is an area that's very close to my heart, being someone who came from the building construction background sustainability world. If you want to connect with Segunda, you can find details in the show notes. And I hope you will return again in two weeks for another great episode. In the meantime, find me and find Cheeseparks Tech on Instagram and LinkedIn. I would love to connect with you. Would love to be in touch. Hope to see you there. Cheers.